Let's open up our Bibles to Luke 10, 38 to 42, if you have them. And while you're doing that, if you're joining with us um, for the first time, we are now knee-deep in this series in Luke's Gospel where we've been looking at what it would be like to, to eat with Jesus. Kind of a basic concept. What would it be like to, to sit down with this, this man and have a conversation over a meal? And the reason that we're doing this is some of the most profound lessons in God's Word took place at the table. Last week, we looked at one of the most famous, the famous meal of all time where Jesus took this handful of fish and loaves and he made dinner for thousands, right? And from that, Brian asked this question, what does this tell us about the host of this meal? It reveals something to us, right, about God's compassion and provision. The week before that, we, we talked about this woman who was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, of all things, at the, the dinner table. And, uh, and uh, we, we learned about God's grace and mercy for sinful and broken people. And if you heard that sermon, you've been looking for hair in your food ever since. But this morning, I'm, I want to take you to a new table. Uh, this one's a bit more obscure. Jesus has left his ministry in Galilee now. His eyes are set towards Jerusalem. And he comes to this house of these sisters, Martha and Mary. And it's at this table that we learn of the importance of what it means that God is with us. So let's, let's turn Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 38 to, uh, to 42. Let me invite you to hear, hear now God's word. <laughs> now, on they, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. <clears throat> the tale of two sisters. This is not a complicated story at all. In fact, let me just ask, who in here has grown up with sisters? Anyone? Right, let's, let's broaden a little bit more. Who has grown up with siblings in general? If you had siblings, sisters, brothers, you know this story. You, you know this experience firsthand. We've lived it. Last week, Brian mentioned his disdain for dishes. When I was growing up, this is deep embedded within me. We, we had this as our chore after supper. The three of us boys would take turns in the rotation. One would clear the table. The other would wash the dishes. And the third would dry. And I distinctly remember on more than one occasion how my older brother, without fail, would suddenly disappear the minute the meal was over. And I would ask, where did Matt go? And I would be told every time he went to use the bathroom. <laughs> I can remember that feeling of Martha almost precisely, right? How is it that I'm here slaving away and somehow my older brother has exploited the loophole in the room? And really, the anger was probably less about that and more about the fact that I didn't think of it first. You know, it's hard for us, or it's not hard for us at all to wrap our minds around this, this story. Jesus, who is this man to have rumored to perform miracles, 
who had thousands of crowds following him through the streets and the fields to hear his teaching, he's come to the front step of this woman's house, and as he makes his way into the room, the stakes could not be any higher for her. Just imagine. Now, what an honor that would be. What a privilege it would be to have Jesus Christ into your home for dinner. And just like the rest of us, it's expected that Martha would do what she did, right? She, she begins hastily making these last-minute preparations for this man she called Lord, Kurios. Who wouldn't be Martha? We all would. And she's furiously making her tea, I don't know, preparing this meal. She's setting the table, and suddenly she realizes, wait a second, where's Mary? And it appears that Mary's exploited the, the loophole, hasn't she? She's off playing this hospitality thing from a completely different angle. Verse 39, look at this. So her sister called Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. Meanwhile, Martha's distracted. She said, Lord, do you not care that I'm doing this all alone? Tell my sister to come help. I love how one scholar explained this. He, he said, you ever notice how patience always decreases when the pressure increases? Someone's coming over to your house, the in-laws, a neighbor, a family friend, and it's an all-out blitz every time, right? Or is this just my house? You're cooking dinner, you're barking at the kids to clean their rooms. I mean, it's fair that Martha would see this as an all-hands-on-deck event. And yet there Mary sits doing seemingly nothing. And right here, here's where we have to be careful, right? Because right here, here's where we take all of our baggage from our childhood and we start to project it onto this passage where one sibling serves and the other one sits. And, and we often come with this prejudice and, and we bring this question like, which sister had it right? Which one was more faithful? What's better? Is it better to serve like Martha or to study like Mary? You got to pick one, right? Is it better to live your faith or to learn your faith? Which one? But I'm not so sure this passage is about that. It seems to me there's something much deeper going on here. Let me just make my point. Keep going with me. Look at this in verse 41. So the Lord answered her, Martha, you're anxious and troubled. See, it seems to me if you slow this down, right, Jesus doesn't slam Martha for preparing a meal. That's not the issue. He doesn't weigh in on whether Mary should be helping or not. He skips and goes right to the heart of the matter. Martha, look, look, at, look at yourself. You're anxious and troubled right now. See, we should really stop and chew on this. In fact, let's just ask this question together. When was the last time your troubles and worries left you distracted from the only thing that really matters in your life? Maybe some of us right now, as we walked into the doors of church this morning, it was, those things were on our mind. Brian had a fantastic point earlier this week. It, it's kind of like the disciples on that boat in the storm. Remember the story? The wind and the waves begin overwhelming the ship. They're, they're going to capsize and sink at any moment. And like Martha, the, the disciples get caught up in the moment, right? And what do they say? They said, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? You know, when all you see are the troubles in your life, it's so easy to forget who's on the boat. 
When all you see are the to-do lists and the distractions, it's so easy to forget who it is that's in your living room. See, here's my take. This isn't a story about sitting or serving. That, that's not the story. This is a story about a, a woman's distractions led her away from the priority in her life. And the Greek word that Luke uses for, for Martha's ministry here is diakonia. Diakonia means to serve. And stay with me, I'm going to get nerdy for a minute. Because within Luke's gospel, you will find that one word just three other times. And in all three occurrences of this word to serve, it's used not in the negative sense, but in a positive light. Look at this with me, Luke 4, 38 to 39. Jesus heals this woman. She's dying of this fever. And we're told the minute she's well, she rose and she, diaconia, she served her guests. Luke 8, we're given the same sort of account. This time it's a group of women who have all been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And one of them, Susanna, Luke tells us she committed the rest of her life to serving others. And if there's any question in your mind, you can learn, turn to Luke 22, where Jesus teaches that the greatest leaders among us are the ones who what? Serve. See, faith and service go together. Jesus doesn't see Martha's serving as a bad thing. This ministry is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with Martha's attending to her guest of honor. That's what the hostess did in first century Palestine. That's what the host or hostess does today. It's not Martha's hospitality that's the issue. It's that there's one sister who is anxious and overcome by all the distractions of life while the other seems to understand full stop the reality in the room. See, unlike Martha, Mary's content, right? She's like a student sitting at the rabbi's feet and Mary is now absorbing every word. She realizes there's something life-changing about what this man has for her. I think the question for us, whether you're serving or you're sitting, is do you actually understand what it is to have Jesus in the room with you? By the Holy Spirit, Jesus makes us this promise. I will never leave or forsake you. I will be always with you until the end of the age. That's the life for the believer, that God goes with us. Oh, and by the way, we have this, this incredible word that, that we can open that is accessible to us with this wisdom and guidance and counsel for our life whenever we need it. Really, just do a heart scan with me. You ever pondered how life would change, how your perspectives would shift if you actually stopped for a moment to fully grasp that God is with you? He's with you in the peaks. He's with you in the valleys. He's with you in your worship. He's with you in your work. He's with you in your sin. Mary's so distracted by her own agenda that she seems to have pulled herself away from the reality, right? The, the priority. Jesus just showed up at your house. And somehow, in her delusion, she, she steps into this lie that, that Jesus doesn't care. I should say Martha, not Mary. Mar Martha's reduced Jesus' presence in the room to this, this arbiter between her and her sister. Back in the 18th century, a group of animal activists had come together to stop the efforts of uh, local hunters back in England. And to do this, they used a really clever trick. They, they took these smoked herring fish, these red and brown fish, and they just threw them all over the trails of, of these, these hounds. 
So that as the hounds went chasing after the fox, they, they would get thrown off by the scent. This is where the logical fallacy of a red herring came from. You know, we are a distracted people, right? We, we live in anxiety-ridden times. We, we can't focus on something longer than a tweet. All day long, we're, we're caught up in the menu of the day. What is the crisis? So what, what do I need to tackle now? The, the tyranny of the urgent. But what if we just sat at the feet of Jesus, listening intently like Mary? I wonder what we would begin to hear from him. Maybe things like, do not let your hearts be anxious. Do not be troubled. You're concerned about so many things. There's only one thing that matters. I'm with you. I'm for you. You know, even as a, a pastor, I feel like every week, this is, this is my personal battle. I'll confess to you. Like, Mary and Martha, they both loved ministry. I mean, as far as we can tell, they both loved Jesus. Both had the best of intentions. One was all action. The other one chose to sit and study. And I get Martha. Like, I love the to-do list. I love the steady pace. In fact, there's times where I love the busy pace. There's laziness and busyness. You can feel as though you're accomplishing something. But here's the challenge, I think, for us. When my work, when, when our work becomes the distraction, or when our identity becomes more about what we do than who we follow, we're no longer thinking about Jesus much, are we? We're probably not thinking about God's plan for me. We're probably thinking about my plan for God. Right? Walk this through with me about how this plays again. Sister A, she's so caught up in her own mind that she's forgotten the original goal. She, she's no longer concerned about ensuring that, that Jesus is comfortable in her house. Now she throws him into the conflict. I've been picking things up all day. Get my sister in here. And instead of listening to what Jesus has for her life, she has the audacity to tell him what he needs to do for her. Meanwhile, Sister B, she's, she's broken all the rules, right? Women didn't sit at the rabbi's feet. And yet she knows who this, this, this man to have this wisdom and, and knowledge and understanding. She chooses the good portion, Jesus says at the moment. And then Jesus weighs in on this controversy. And I love this part. He says, Martha, Martha, only one thing matters right now. And anytime you see... Uh, God uses somebody's name twice like that. It's like this, um, this compassionate moment where he's, he's, he's wanting to get their attention. It's like an adult trying to, to get their child to look at them. You see this in 1 Samuel 3 where the, the Lord wakes up the prophet Samuel from his slumber and, and is calling to ministry. He says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel says, speak, your servant's listening. Or in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus is... Jesus comes before this Saul who's persecuting and killing off his followers. He says, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? It's like that old parenting trick, right? You ever use that one where your child's kind of oh, all over the place and you just grab their face like this and you go, think, focus. He says, Martha, you're, you're anxious. You're troubled about what? You are so distracted, but, but in the end, it's all just temporary, how many of us live life from Martha's headspace, right? And yet to have done that is to miss the mission entirely. Martha's not living out of God's abundant grace and, and Sabbath rest in her life. She's living out of this place of self-induced stress. 
Meanwhile, the answer to every prayer, the, the wise counsel that she truly needs, the power of Almighty God is in her house. Jesus looked at the disciples on the boat, calmed the storm, he said, you have little faith. How many times have we tried to fix a problem and never sought God's word? How many times have we, we sat in our troubles and talked to everyone around us about them and yet refused to bring them to God in prayer? How many times have we tried to work things out by our own strength, our own knowledge, instead of trusting first in, in his? See, this is the good portion I think Jesus is talking about. You cannot have a relationship with someone you don't spend time with. You agree? You can't tell your spouse, I love you, and then avoid them. That doesn't work. You can't tell your children, I, I want to be a part of your life and then disappear. You, you can't have a best friend who you never call or speak with. And I think the same is true with our relationship with Christ. We can say yes to all the good things in life, but if you forget the main thing, of course you're going to be anxious, troubled. You become distracted. You, you're out on an island completely off course. December 19th, 1972, the Eastern Airlines Flight 401 crashed into this swamp just outside of Miami, and 100 people died just like that. And at first, as the, the crash scene investigators showed up, they, they couldn't figure this out. It was a calm day, winds were normal, the plane had no apparent malfunction. When investigators found the black box, they, they listened to these, these three crew members who had gotten entirely preoccupied with this flashing, malfunctioning warning light. It wasn't actually malfunctioning, it was just a blinking light. And they got so focused on that light, trying to figure out what's going on, that somehow in their fixation, they forgot to engage autopilot. By the time they realized the mistake, it was too late. Luke 8, 14 tells us this parable of the sower. You've probably heard about it. The, the sower represents the word, the gospel going forth, and the sower goes out spreading seeds. And he says, some of the seeds fell along the, the path and there were thorns and the thorns choked them up. Remember that? And later the disciples are trying to figure this out, what does this mean? And so Jesus explains, he says, this is what the thorn is. Do you remember what the thorn is? It's the cares of this life, the, the anxieties, the worries of this life that choke away what was meant. In the book of Acts chapter 6, the church is faced with this very real and tangible problem. Luke tells us the church was growing, the disciples were increasing by number, and this complaint arose among the flock, entirely legitimate. Some were being neglected from the daily distribution. They were hungry. Like Martha, that's, that's something to pay attention to. So the 12 elders, they get together and they, they figured, we got to fix this. This is not good. So what'd they do? Look at how they solved this. It says, it's not right that we would give up preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven good men full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll appoint this duty to them. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. See how this plays? It is that whatever we do as the church, as God's people, the priority of Christ and the word that he brought us remains. In any good basketball game or football game, you get to the free throw or the field goal, and what, is, what does every opposing fan do? They start trying to distract the, the one aiming for the goal, right? And bonus points for anybody that was up till midnight last night watching the game and is still here this morning. You get 
Arizona State recently took this to a whole nother level. The student section made something they called the curtain of distraction. And they would paint different images on this curtain. They'd throw it out before the free throw. They'd unfold this thing and it was like pictures of men riding on unicorns and Santa Claus on a, on a rubber duck. And it actually worked. Free throw points from the opposing team dropped 10% in that one year on their home court. We're distracted. What is it that's distracted you? What is it that's been your trouble and your anxiety? And why in the world does that get to run your life? Jesus said, Martha, in all this chaos, only one thing's necessary. Mary chose the good portion. You know, I think even as the church, corporately, we can so easily be distracted by the, the shiny things that aren't of Jesus. And you can hold me to this. Timothy Keller, he talks about three different churches that often miss the mark. He says there's, there's legalistic churches who, who get so distracted by the codes of conduct and the minuscule details of doctrine that they eventually become being defined by what they're against instead of what they're for. And then he says on the opposite end of the spectrum, he said there's these power churches that, that put so much emphasis on performance and trying to conjure up the emotional spectacle that feeling actually becomes more important than truth. He says then there's the, also the, the liturgical churches who put so much emphasis on the poetry of the, the liturgy, the spoken words, and the symphonic melody, the fancy architecture, all of which can glorify God, but soon the ceremony becomes more important than the worship. Spring Hill is just as susceptible, right? Jesus says, Martha, the priorities of your life have gotten misplaced. You mean well, but, but here I stand in your house and you're caught up in making sure the table's set and your sister's helping? Here's the challenge. Let me wrap this up. I think we get the point by now. But this is the challenge for us, right? Note this. Martha is not the odd duck in this story. She's not. Martha's every one of us in this room. Martha's the norm. Mary's the anomaly. It's counterculture, right, to stop and to, to truly be with Jesus. It's, it's counterculture to see him as a priority every waking moment of our lives. It's, it's countercultural for him to be a priority. You're going to look different. You're going to sound different. People are going to notice as you're mumbling and praying down the Rose Hours grocery aisle, and people are like, what are they doing? Or as, as you say no to extracurriculars so that you can be together in worship that looks different, people are going to roll their eyes at that. When you talk about him as though he's in the room with you, they're going to think you're crazy. But if Jesus promised us, and he did, to never leave or forsake us, that means he goes with us, not just in worship, but as we leave this place every Sunday. The question is, how does that reality change the way you live? Let's ask God to help us through that. Pray with me, will you? God, we just join King David in, in praying that you would search us and know us. God, that you would know our going in, our coming out. Lord, you know everything about us. You know how easy it is for us to get distracted. God, you know that the anxieties on our hearts, the troubles that plague us, the things we can't control that are outside uh, our, our ability to, to have any say over. And yet you are still Lord. Nothing is a surprise to you. You are still control. You are still sovereign. You have promised us that it all works out for our good in the end. And so God, whom shall we fear?
Lord, help us this week to, to put our focus where it belongs. God, help us to be about the good portion. Lord, help us to, to, to stay, to remain on the one thing, the eternal thing that matters in following you and chasing after your word all the days of our life. Lord, that we would dwell in your house forever. God, help us to leave all the temporary trappings of this world behind. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen, amen.